welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, where I sell you a new idea to help you grow your church. Oh look, here comes Pastor Dylan. I suppose he's ready to buy a new idea. Well, Stanley Snake Up, I am here to see what you've got going on, though hold your horses on any new ideas or skunks or whatever you have down there, because all of the other ideas that you've sold us have turned out to be old lies that lead the church astray. Well, just let the past be the past. We're here for a new idea, for a new day. Mm. In fact, I think today we might just get into the spirit of the age. Now, I'm not going to lie. When you say spirit of the age, I'm not exactly sure what you're talking about. Well, does your inquiry mean that you're interested in a new idea? I, I hate to give you another one for free. Well, if I'm going to be honest again, I don't have any of your strange coins oh. to buy your strange ideas from. Well, don't worry about that. Actually, someone left you one. Uh, the spirit of the age did. It, really? In fact, I think it was a sheep. Mm. Um, but, you know, it smelled kind of funny like an old dog. Anyways, here you go. Mm. Well, here is our coin, I suppose, for today's idea. And on one side, it has a furnace. And there you can see it's got the blazing fires inside it. And let's take a look at the other side. This side, it has a wolf in sheep's wool on it. Now that's interesting. You've got like a wolf head on a sheep, kind of strange. The head's a bit big, that's kind of odd. Yeah, it's odd, but if you put it in the bank, I'll give you a new idea. So see what it buys. All right. All right, here you go. The new idea is from the spirit of the age. And this new idea is that the culture around you reveals more about God's will than any or even all of Christian history. Okay, so if I'm getting this straight, the spirit of the age is telling us that the culture around us reveals more about God's will than any or even all of Christian history. Well, we're going to have to go to the studio and talk about that. So, okay. See you let's later. Head there. All right, I'll see you around. We're talking about the lie that the spirit of the age brings to us. And again, we've talked a lot here at Kingdom of the Logos about how we are surrounded by spiritual warfare. There is an alternative belief system to Christianity that tries to rear its head across different cultures and different times, and we have that reality with us today. And today we're going to be talking about the lie from the spirit of the age that surrounds us now. And this is one of the lies that we have that is quite deadly to the church. And this is the idea that culture around you reveals more about God's will than any or all of Christian history. So thank you for joining us. This is Kingdom of the Logos. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and there are a few others with me in the studio today. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. Pastor Anthony Alegria. And I'm Pastor Mike Proctor. So thank you for joining us, and let's open up in prayer. Pastor Mike, would you pray for us as we begin? Absolutely. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful to be able to come and gather together and discuss uh, the, the, the evils that try to come in and infest your church. But dear Lord, we pray for um, everyone that are that is viewing today, the burdens that they are under, Lord. We just pray that you come and may we feel your presence. Uh, and Lord, uh, we pray for your will to be done and your kingdom to come. We ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And thank you for joining us. Again, remember to check us out on YouTube, like our Facebook page, download our podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts, and you can donate monetarily at patreon.com slash kingdomofthelogos. So our main proposition for today is that the lie of the spirit of the age that we are fed today is that culture around you reveals more about God's will more than 
any or all of Christian history. So I want us to have a story to examine and have some framework to talk about this today. And we're actually going to go to the book of Acts for this. I know in the past we talked about the Crusades and the Knights Templar and some different things from history. But let's go to the book of Acts chapter 5. And stepping into Acts 5, we're reminded that Christians have throughout time been opposed by the world around them. This is not new, and it's really been one of the staples of the Christian faith. And in the book of Acts, it was a staple of Christians to be thrown into jail for one's faith. And this is something you just find as a given with the early church. Now, there was a time when St. Peter, who's one of the twelve, he was teaching, preaching, and healing outside the temple. And there were many who were coming, there were people being saved, those being healed, and it was clear that the godliness of this ministry was of divine origin. It wasn't just Peter out doing something because he's a magician or a sorcerer or somebody who's just articulate, but it was clear that this was something which was a product of, of God. But despite the clear godliness of, of Peter's message, there were several who hated it. And it's really important to understand who the people were that hated it. Because those that hated this were people of God. And they hated it because they thought it was immoral. They thought something which was clearly from God was immoral. And now these that we're going to be talking about were the Sadducees. They were the official leaders of the people of God. They controlled the institutions of theology, the institutions of education and justice, and they hated the idea of Jesus being the Christ. So they took Peter and some other Christians and placed them in the jail. Now at this time of the history of the church, a lot of Christians, they were being nicely arrested by the Jewish authorities because there were a lot of people who liked the Christians, um, so they would nicely and nonviolently take them to jail. Um, a side little question for Anthony. Anthony, does it change things if they nicely take you to jail? I would really hope so, but probably not. Amanda, what do you think? Does, is it different if they nicely take you to jail? No. It's, it's like those, we're going to give you beatings, but they're with love. We're, <laughs> we're beating and chastising you, but it's because we really like you. No, 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 no. <laughs> So anyways, they, they took Peter and some of the other Christians to jail. And in the middle of the night, an angel of, of God came to Peter and freed them. And this angel gave a very specific message. And in Acts 5.20, it says, Go stand in the temple and tell the people the whole message about this life. Now, that's really important. The angel says, tell them the whole message about this life. So the next day, the authorities, they come and they find that they're not in jail anymore. They're dumbfounded. And not only have the Christians escaped from jail, which is still locked tight, but they're back preaching in the temple. So again, they say, well, we got to go out and arrest these guys. They're in Acts 5.26. Then the captain went to the temple and with the temple police, and they brought them without violence. And it was kind. They lovingly went and arrested them. For they were afraid of being stoned by the people. So again, just... Keep that in mind. They, they portray this as it's a nice, it's a non-violent arrest. You know, we're, we're not being violent with you when we beat you. You know, whatever. So anyway, what we do find is Peter, he's brought in to what is really the Jewish court system. He's brought in before the Sanhedrin, which is the court side of the Sadducees and the Jewish leadership. And Peter, he's brought into this court so that he could be judged. And they said to him, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you are determined to bring this man's blood on us. Now, that's just a fascinating thing from there. Um, these guys, they don't want to be held accountable. They don't want to contemplate that they could ever be wrong. They want Sadducee justice. 
They don't want the healing justice of God where God is the arbiter of justice and Christ is the judge of the living and the dead. No, they want Sadducee justice, which is their brand of it, with their own rules and things of that nature. Well, and they're not even fairly consistent with their own rules. I mean, this is shortly after Pentecost, which isn't too far uh, down the timeline from Easter. Um, and you have it at the crucifixion where Pontius Pilate washes his hand literally to symbolize that he's not wanting to be responsible for this man's blood that's going to be on uh, Jesus's accusers and which would have been the, the Sadducees and others and they're like oh we're fine with it for now yeah so they, yeah they're not even consistent with their own yeah, rules five, of judgment five minutes ago they were fine with this but now they've had an attitude this is the polite beating well um, and it's like it's Peter's fault for accusing them of this man's blood. Like, yeah. they're like, Peter, you keep trying to make us guilty. And like, Peter's like, no, y'all were there. <laughs> Peter, you kept making us crucify him. Like, uh, anyways, let's get back to Peter. After Peter was questioned, and he responded by saying, this is Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree, and God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior that he might give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Now, they really wanted to do Peter in after Peter says all of that. Um, they're ready just to go out in broad daylight and kind of kill him. Um, they've kind of got to that point. But one man among this council that's making this judgment, he comes in and he makes an observation. Now, it's a really wise thing that he says. I kind of think he says it to despite himself. Again, the truth of a message is not in the messenger. It's in the merits of the message itself. But what we see coming in is, is a guy comes in and he says, regarding Peter and these Christians and their Christian messages, he says this in Acts 5.38. I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. Because if this plan or this undertaking is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. And in that case, you may even be found fighting against God. And that's what we find going on there. And these guys who are judging Peter, they were possessed by the spirit of the age. Again, the spirit of the age, you can define it as whatever the dominant belief system is that is contrary to the teachings of God. And the spirit of the age, it comes to tell you, to whisper in your ear that says the culture around you, the way you feel right now, that reveals more about God's will than any or all of the teachings of God, all of Christian history. It, it's, it's that nice little whisper that comes in your ear and tells you what you suspect to be true or maybe you want to be true, but it comes in it. It tells you something nice. Well, these members of the Sanhedrin, they really were possessed by the spirit of the age. And it's fascinating when you watch this because the spirit of the age, it does... It's just fascinating. Um, it turns people who, again, you think of them being really well-educated, they're leaders, but it makes them do really, really dumb stuff. It reduces them down to where they're basically making an, an emotional demand that Jesus was a sinner, that healing people in the name of Jesus was not godly, and that the Christian message must be cast out. That's really what the spirit of the age there in Jerusalem in the time of Acts 5 is. It's just this idea that we got to cast out Jesus. Get him out. Get him out. We don't like him. And the spirit of the age, it makes people behave really, really stupidly. These were highly educated people. And often, you'll find throughout history, the spirit of the age, however it manifests throughout time, it can make people act really, really dumb. And historically, if we're honest about history, the spirit of the age has liked to root itself down in educational and political systems. It likes to get itself in the place where it looks smart and it feels like the smart one, but it's actually doing some really, really dumb stuff. 
So the spirit of the age made people, the Sanhedrin, again, they're teachers of the law, it made them say no to the good things that they should have wanted. Again, these were people who should have been looking for God's law, but yet now they're rejecting God's law. They should have been looking for the blessing of God, and now they're saying no to the blessing of God, no to healing. They should have been saying yes to God's Messiah, but now they're saying no to God's Messiah. It makes them do really dumb stuff that is antagonistic to what they profess their mission to be. It's really, really strange. So when we talk about the spirit of the age, again, I want everybody to be clear on the primary expression of what we're talking about. The lie of the spirit of the age is that culture around you reveals more about God's will than any or all of Christian history. Now we have cultural trends that come and everyone jumps on the bandwagon saying they're good and moral and then a few years down the road we find out that's not the case. And just some quick examples of that, like Diet Coke fits into this. You know, I have lived long enough to see Diet Coke be a good thing and then people come out and say Diet Coke is worse for you than regular Coke. Um, it's different the way that it's bad for you, but it's actually worse in the long run. Organic dog food fits into this category. I remember a couple years ago, like Blue Buffalo, stuff like that. They were kind of all the popular dog foods, and people had the different organic brands and stuff they were going to. And then it came out that a lot of these organic dog foods, and I don't remember the specific brands that had the issues, but a lot of them had carcinogens in it, and they were causing dogs to have cancer. They were causing them to have heart failure. They were killing a lot of dogs, and again, everybody jumped on the bandwagon saying the organic dog food's the way to go, and it turns out it's actually worse for your dogs than a lot of the stuff that wasn't. Um, asbestos fits into this category. Um, like when I mentioned asbestos to Anthony earlier, he was like, asbestos was ever considered good? <laughs> Um, but asbestos used to be like the, the magic ingredient and stuff. I mean, car parts made out of them, everything in your house made out of it, you know, everywhere. Asbestos for you, asbestos for you, asbestos <laughs> all around us. Mm -hmm. um, Insulation, flooring, yeah, uh, glue. It was, it was in a lot of brake things. Brake pads. Yeah, brake pads. And um, Anthony, what do you think of now when you hear asbestos? Uh, uh, lawsuits and medicine commercials. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say it's like the physical substance that begets cancer. I mean, um, no, basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, That's you'll get cancer and other and... things, and then you'll be, uh, you know, the target market for lawsuits and yeah, uh, for, for lawyers and for uh, medicine companies. <laughs> but people do this with moral issues. They jump on the bandwagon of the day. And that's what the spirit of the age is really about. And the spirit of the age doesn't want the full story of life. And that's one of the fascinating things the angel tells them when it breaks them out of jail. It comes and says, tell people the full story of life. Tell them the whole thing. But the spirit of the age, it thinks it cannot be wrong. It doesn't want to hear the full story. Um, recently, I heard one of our, our, another minister in the church of Nazarene say, the problem with being in the middle of the road is you get attacked from both sides. Um, I want to take a different angle on that because I don't think the problem with being in the middle of the road is that you get attacked from both sides. In fact, I think that's actually fine. Um, having you know Satan attack you clarifies where you're at. Having people attack you, that means you've stood for something. Being attacked at from both sides doesn't really bother me at all. I actually think that's fine. I think the problem with being in the middle of the road is that you can veer to either side. When we talk about like the Wesleyan middle way that we have in the Church of the Nazarene, which is not supposed to mean that you're riding the fence, though if you're undisciplined it can mean that. But it basically says you're not the fundamentalist. You're not super into like the progressive movement in the church, but you're you're trying to walk that straight and narrow road is what it is is meant to be. Um, and the problem when you're walking the straight and narrow road is you can go to other sides. You know that scripture in Matthew ten twenty eight. It says, "Don't fear those who can kill the body and and 
but cannot kill the soul. In other words, don't fear those who are standing beside the road throwing stuff at you. But instead, rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Y'all want to know who can compromise your body and soul? We, we can. We, we can squander sanctification and, and salvation. We're capable of that. You know, we're capable of veering wherever we want to. The carnal nature that runs in us can. Um, so the spirit of the age in our modern day and age, it is selling people on utopia, that we can create a world without any you know, disparities or stuff like that. And you'll notice throughout history, whenever people try to create utopias, it always has violence and death. Um, even when you look within the church, when we have misused scripture, you look at some of the most peaceful Christians we have now, the Anabaptists, the Amish, the Mennonites, but you look throughout the history of the Anabaptist tradition, does it start pretty, y'all? I thought you were going to finish that sentence with pretty violent, so that's why I was like, yes, and I'm like, wait, he just said pretty. No, 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 no it's it not starts pretty. pretty Anytime <laughs> you have people wanting to create utopia, it's always violent. You have people rationing health, health care, all this stuff. You look at China, you look at you know, the Soviet Union, you look at there in Nazi Germany, you look at fascist Italy, all of these things were selling a utopia to people and it was always violent. There's always death, both of your own people and others. It's a very, very nasty thing, but it's being sold to people. So some questions on this while we get into our, our topic and then we'll, we'll get to our coin from earlier. Pastor Amanda, is it like a necessary thing that the spirit of the age makes you act dumb? Where when the spirit of the age is there and it tells you this is the best dog food ever, or asbestos is the best thing ever, and you jump on it, you look at the Sadducees, you know, don't you want God's Messiah? And then when you get it, you act really dumb and act like you hate God's Messiah. Um, is it just a necessary thing that this happens? It, it seems to be maybe not a necessary thing for it to happen, but it doesn't. It does seem to be a necessary result of the spirit mm. of the age, um, and some of it is intentional some of it's not sometimes we're kind of just swept away on things i'm like diet coke it's not a sin matter but um we probably didn't do all the investigating we needed to in order to realize what it was what we were putting in our body and if we had earlier on we would have realized much sooner probably wasn't the best thing for us um and we see these sadducees them wanting to acting dumb and and for us two thousand years later it's really easy to point the finger at them and be like how are y'all missing this um, but we see in them very real human uh, motives, real very human behaviors. Uh, they're trying to live in a world that's conquered. Uh, they're living in a world where oppression and trying to keep the balance of power uh, is very necessary for daily life. And so the spirit of age tells them, you know, you got to do what you got to do to appease people and to keep kind of go along to get along. And if you don't do that, uh, you're going to find yourself in real trouble, and especially for the Sadducees. Uh, their main concern was to keep power in Jerusalem, religious Jewish power in Jerusalem, and they felt the best way to do that was to um, to listen to the spirit of the age, and that ended up making them do very dumb things like missing the Messiah. So to your point of that, like one of the things they wanted to do was appease Rome. Mm -hmm. Did that work out well for them? No, it didn't. Historically, we know not too much longer after this, and I think it's 70 A.D., if I have the dates right. Yeah, 70 um, AD. AD. Yeah, you have the destruction of the, the temple. You have a revolt uh, that takes place, and Rome responds by like, all right, fine, wipe you out. And we do see that the Sadducees were trying to prevent that by getting going along to get along. And it, it didn't it didn't work out for them because the spirit of the age, as we'll find out and as we continue this conversation, is quite fickled. Yeah, it absolutely is. Pastor Mike, should mm -hmm. we truly consider... consider Mixing all the phonemes over here. Should we consider the spirit of the age a spirit? 
meaning it is something that takes possession of people. Absolutely, we should. It, it is. And not only that, but it's subtle sometimes in getting us. And it sounds good um, when you first hear it, but one of the things it, it does, it, it, we're sometimes blinded to the reality that is around us when when it happens. And so, yes, it is something to be extremely concerned about. Uh, Anthony, I know I've called this a lot, the spirit of the age, but is this something which is limited to here and now? Is it the same thing throughout history? Like, how does this actually line up with history? You know, <clears throat> I was thinking about that part of the question also. Is it the same thing throughout history? There's an air of it where it almost sort of is. It is still of the world. It's not of God. Um, and it it is it has some similarities across time, but it will look different across time. Um, and it also uses the same tools across time, which is really interesting. It's very frequently centered around the control of language, which is really interesting whenever you consider that Christ is the Logos, the Word. And so um, whenever we consider also, you know, there's the Spirit of the Age, and then there's the Holy Spirit, there's Christ, the Logos, and then there's the Antichrist, which, <clears throat> if we take the logic all the way through, he would be the anti-word. And so there's sort of this idea that this is really connected with the idea of the spirit of the Antichrist, that which is coming to disorder and to bring things out of its proper alignment rather than Christ, which is the word, which is bringing the order of God. Yeah, fascinating. When we, we look throughout history, we do find it, it does operate fairly similar, like you said, though it wears a few different brands. Like, it, it just does. And we'll get to that some as we go forwards. But let's get to our coin now. So we've got two sides of the coin that we purchased this bad idea with. Um, and the first side we're going to talk about, rotated around, is a wolf in sheep's wool. Now, Matthew 7.15 says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly ravenous wolves. Now, the wolves in sheep clothing are people who have actively come into the church advancing a belief system other than Christianity. So the people who are active in the church, and not just someone sitting on a pew, but they're active in the church and they are advancing a belief system other than Christianity. They may try to synchronize it with Christianity or even claim that it's part of Christianity, but in truth, it's not consistent with the full gospel of Christ Jesus. And again, we're warned about this, and the New Testament spends so much time. You know, you look at the seven churches there in Revelation, they're there's a lot of language in there about Nicolaitans, Jezebels. You get all these people who are, again, in the church. Those letters to those churches aren't about, hey, there's those pagans, you know, down the street and doing stuff in their temples. It's about stuff going in the church and how the church is being called into those temples. You know, the reason why the problem is because it has infected. It's there with you in your flock. There's some wolves in there. That's why we're warned about this. Um, so it's clear that there's a, a real problem. And so... We have people who come into the church dressed like a sheep. They look like a sheep, but they're really, really a wolf. And they're there to advance the spirit of the age rather than Christianity. Um, Anthony, back to you real quick. Is it possible for people to be wolves without even realizing it? So this one I think is actually a pretty complicated question. I feel like most of the time whenever people are being wolves in sheep's clothing, they know exactly what's going on. So I would say this much, that there are definitely people who are sheep of another shepherd. <clears throat> and maybe there are people who are sheep who are being manipulated by wolves. And then I would say um, that there are certainly people who are purposefully 
wolves in sheep's clothing who are coming to deceive and abuse things and manipulate um, the love that's shared within the church and the fellowship to be had there and yeah. abuse where they can. And so, <clears throat> again, there are some people who do that and they don't realize it. They're bringing in another worldview and they have no idea that they're sheep of another shepherd. And so I would say that you can tell both of these by who it is that they subject themselves to, who's their Lord, um, and how they go about figuring that out. If yeah. they go about you know, serving the world first and not primarily focusing on serving God the way that God has shown us that he desires us to serve him, then either more than more often than not they're they're sheep of another shepherd sometimes they are uh a wolf in sheep's clothing and to tell the difference between the two i think most of the time is going to be something that only is known between them and god um it's not very wise to take it on yourself to try to figure out whether or not people are actually sheep in wolf's clothing or if they're sheep of another shepherd but it is wise to figure out who's part of the true shepherd's flock in the sense of where you're going as a congregation and what it is that you're doing and how you're judging between right and wrong. This is part of wisdom. It's not judgment like, con you know, condemning others or condemning necessarily sinners, but it is trying to wisely live out our faith. And so, um, as they say, test the prophets. Uh, this isn't to condemn the prophets, but it is to uh, go forth wisely. Yeah, so people can definitely be possessed by the spirit of the age without realizing it. And like we we live in the day and age where people have I idolized a lot of things. Um, identity is one of the biggest idolized things. And if like somebody's identity is up at the top of their moral compass, either you affirm me or I don't, or I have nothing to do with you, you know, I can tell you that they're probably a sheep of another shepherd because that's the idol that they're serving. But yeah, fascinating stuff. That's usually the definition I give for idolatry. Um, or the metric I use for that. Look to see what is moving someone's moral compass, and that'll tell you whom, who they're serving. Um, but Pastor Amanda, another question on the wolves. Do we hesitate to call out wolves because we worry that they might make us look bad, or maybe the causes that we like or the people we associate with, it'll, it'll make us all look bad. It'll, it'll hurt the tribe if we call out the wolf. So are we sometimes hesitant to call out wolves? Oh, I think definitely. And, and, and again, within this context, especially in the church, um, there's been so much uh, infighting and, and debates and, well, not just debates, but uh, schisms and reformations and this and that and church splits that we're, we're sometimes afraid of calling out things because we don't want to be the person that rocks the boat. We don't want to be one more troublemaker. Uh, we don't want to be one more squeaky wheel. Um, and so I think we, again, we find ourselves more often than not when we hear the stories of the gospel, we probably find ourselves closer to the Sadducees and the Pharisees than we'd like to admit. Um, because, I mean, that's what the Sadducees were doing. They were trying to make sure to keep the peace. They were trying to make sure everything was going well. If they called out, they were okay with calling out Peter a wolf because he was rocking the boat. He was he could potentially uh, unbalance the, the peace that was happening between them and Rome. And again, like we've noted before, they kind of did it quietly because they didn't want to, you know, call even Peter out too loudly. They had to yeah. call him out to get him quiet, but not too much because then that would cause even more chaos. Um, and I think for us today, we do, we, we have all these different thoughts and ideas and we're just, and we're also afraid sometimes I think that um, by calling someone out, we may have inadvertently are ignorant or 
have given into some kind of spirit of the age too. So we're not even sure sometimes what we believe. So we're not quite sure how to call people out. Yeah. Um, and so this idea, like Pastor Anthony was talking about earlier about wisdom, it really cannot find its source in whatever the, whether it's a new thought or even a very ancient old thought, it, it cannot find its source in these things um, because it will fail us. Um, it has to be this, the source has to be gone. And that gets complicated because it calls for us to trust, but also for us to act. Um, and we mess up on both parts. <laughs> so one of the things I hear you talking about is we have to be morally based mm-hmm. because you're going to be totally confused if you're not. If you if you just give the technical, you know, the economic answer to stuff, you're going to be wrecked because the spirit of the age is coming on moral terms and you have to be morally grounded to be able to defend yourself against that. Um, Pastor Mike, mm-hmm. how much power do wolves tend to have throughout history? Oh, they have a tremendous amount of power and they continue to seek more and more power. One of the things that uh, especially in the context of what you're talking about, you know, a wolf in sheep's clothing, but don't don't mistake that it could be a wolf in the shepherd's clothing. One thing we know about sheep is they are very much a, a social animal that will stay together. They're, they're, they're a flock. They stay in a flock. And so the wolf has power not only to, to kill and destroy, but to divide up the flock. In other words, if they are uh, dressed as other sheep, maybe they'll follow and separate and bring division. Um, and, and of course, sheep will also follow the shepherd. Um, they shouldn't be following a, a, a false shepherd of any time, any kind, but in the context of what we see in the Sadducees here, we see that there's quite a bit of misleading. The, the other thing is, is wolves generally hunt in packs, as, you know, and so that's a very serious uh, thing. You may have one one wolf come in and and lead others astray other sheep but there's generally others that's going to get in there and attack and it's really devastating so yes wolves have generally been extremely dangerous uh, the literal wolf but also um, wolves inside the 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 community and the kingdom of god certainly let's talk about the other side of the coin the furnace and this is specifically a fiery furnace nope the fire (laughs) The spirit of the age throughout time has always had a test of some sort. And it says something to the effect of, if, if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, and entire musical ensemble to fall down and worship the golden statue that I have made, all will be well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall be immediately thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God that will save you now? And of course, that's out of Daniel uh, chapter 3, verse 15. But historically speaking, spirit, the spirit of the age, whether you're in ancient Rome or now, it has always had that test. Again, going all the way back to Nebuchadnezzar, he says, you know, appease me. I'm going to make the orchestra make the music. You bow down and worship me. You look in ancient Rome, um, you find they would take Christians in and the judges would say, hey, you're a Christian. Here's the test. You burn the incense. You bake the incense. All is well and good. But if you don't, I will throw you into the amphitheater, and who is the God who will save you now? You look even with Peter, the Sanhedrin bring him in. They say, okay, you shut your mouth. All is well and good, but if not, we will we'll stone you. We'll kill you. Who is the God who will save you now? They, they do the same thing throughout time. And again, you can even look in more recent years. You see where we're at. Um, there are Christians in China who struggle with the fact that the government comes to it and say, you know what? You replace all your crosses with pictures of President Xi. All is well and good. 
If not, who is the God who will save you now? You will go to prison and never see the light of day again. You look throughout the Soviet Union, you see the same thing. You look in Nazi Germany, you know, take those crosses out of your church. Young men, you will become a member of the SS. Or who is the God who will save you now after we mow you down with a with just gunfire to shoot you down, put you in a mass grave, move on with life. Um, the spirit of the age almost always has a test where it brings you to a moment where you decide. And so this side of the coin, the furnace, it is referring to people who think they can appease the spirit of the age. They think they can pass this test. They think that they'll come along and they'll say, well, you know, Nebuchadnezzar said this to me. I'm going to bow down to him because how can I be a good Jew if I don't, if I'm in a fiery furnace? So, you know, if, if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego bend up, how am I going to have my prayer life? You know, how, how am I going to be able to, to take Sabbath? How am I going to be able to, to go to Passover? And, you know, I've got that special reading I like to do every year. I can't be faithful unless I bow down to him. You know, Daniel might say, how can I be, um, you know, a good, good prayerful young man if I'm, or old man, if I'm thrown into the lion's den? You know, who, who will be able to minister to the people in my church if I get sent to the amphitheater, if I don't burn this incense? You know, if I don't just sign up to be an SS soldier, who, who will be able to go back home and, and take care of my family? There are people who think you can pass this test. You know, if I'm, if I'm thrown in a furnace, how am I going to be able to do all these little things? How am I going to be able to live my life if I'm burned up? But the truth is, it's not that easy. And throwing that straight over to Pastor Mike, Mike, can you actually appease Nebuchadnezzar? Well, you know, the you can attempt to appease him, but the, the real answer is no, because once you, if you were to say, you know, do and go in line and do what he asks, whatever Nebuchadnezzar may be um, in this world, it's never going to be enough. There will always be another demand and another do this and do that. And so you cannot appease um, a Nebuchadnezzar because he's always hungry for more power and more control. Yeah, yeah, you, you cannot. Um, Pastor Amanda, we often talk of the middle way. Um, is there a middle way when a Roman judge says, burn the incense or go to the amphitheater? When you see someone like uh, Vivia Perpetua, I know I like to tell her story. Um, is there a middle way? No, there, there's not. Um, I mean, Jesus makes that very clear early on. You cannot serve two masters. Um, and when we talk about the middle way, especially within our tradition, the Wesleyan tradition, uh, Wesley's middle way is not about riding the fence. It's not about um, kind of appeasing one voice and then doing what you want in private. Uh, Wesley developed what well, really probably was later generations after him taking his Wesley's teachings and gave it the title, the middle way. But it's this understanding within uh, Christian theology there are lots of different perspectives, different analogies, different ways we communicate the gospel. And Wesley heard a lot of these various ideas and kind of decided, well, we're not really uh, Calvinist, but we're not 100% um, Arminian. And we do say we're Wesleyan Arminian, but he kind of pulled Arminian a little bit closer to the middle. Um, but in all these different, in, there's other theological thoughts as well that Wesley was trying to say, we've got to make sure we understand and we speak about this rightly and not get pulled to either side. Going back to the example that Dylan used earlier, um, that it's very easy to kind of go far left or far right. And But Wesley at no point would say then that you could not stand for anything. You stood yeah. for the middle way. You, you had it's the, dogma and doctrine that guided you to yeah. keep you on task. It's the narrow road, not... No road. The fence. <laughs> yeah. Not the fence that you ride next to the narrow road. It, it is the narrow road. 
And, and it, practically, obviously, you can't tell, like, we're using this example of the Roman judge. We can't be like, all right, I'll burn the incense, but still go to, like, church on Sunday. That doesn't work. And even, like you mentioned, in China, there are some churches that have taken down pictures or have been forced to take down pictures of Jesus and put up President Xi. But then it's really not the church. I mean, yeah. you can't do both. So it's it's just practically, um, it's it's to, you, you got to pick one or the other. When, yeah, when the Soviet Union comes to you and says, we took all your hymns and we wrote them about Stalin. It's the same tune. We got a nice little book for you. Um if you dare sing those songs about Jesus Christ to the gulag for you and all your family too, like I, I know you loved living at home, but you know I think you'll like this gulag a little bit more comforting for you. Um, <laughs> they come to you and say things like that, but the truth is, is if you go to church and you're singing the songs about Stalin, that are the old hymns that have been Re-written. given new lyrics, because they did that, they did this in Russia. Um, who are you singing praises to when you sing those songs? Like what what has happened? You're, you're no longer the church. That, that's the thing. You, you have compromised. You, you tried to give up the thing that took you there. And it's, it's and hoping that you could save it. It's, it's kind of antithetical. It's never going to work out very well. Um, Anthony, how can the church learn to say no, and not just no to the question, but no to the premise that the spirit of the age throws at us? I know that um, I'm known for my Sunday school answers. So I'm going to say, do as Jesus did. Uh and I'm going to elaborate on that now. So <laughs> um, this, is, this is my go-to story for this type of response because Jesus has just this brilliant way consistently to respond to every problem he faces in the gospel. I, I really feel like such an idiot for not being able to, to imitate it, but it's, it's really genius. So <clears throat> in the story of the Good Samaritan, a lawyer comes to Jesus seeking to justify himself, and he asks, who is my neighbor? Jesus doesn't an- ever answer the question, who is my neighbor? He never responds to that precise question. He does give an answer, though. And the answer he gives is to the question, how do I be a good neighbor? Or who is a good neighbor? In Jesus' story, the parable of the Good Samaritan, he never talks about multiple people to love. The lawyer wants to know, who am I supposed to love? He wants to get it down pat. He wants it to be in written law so that then he can justify himself. It's made pretty clear in the text. That's exactly what he wants to do. He wants to make sure that he's got his butt covered whenever it comes to who he gets to love. But Jesus doesn't allow for that to happen because he knows exactly what's taking place. And so Jesus never answers that question. He answers the right question. And the right question for the for the, uh, for the lawyer, had he come with a repentant heart and a loving heart would have been how do I love or who who do I look to to see uh, what a good neighbor is and what love is so Jesus tells him what a good neighbor looks like and so I would say as the church we shouldn't play ball on the, uh, the courts of the wrong question we shouldn't even really take the time to say no to the question and address the question that way we need to address the right question the question that should be on their hearts give them that answer and let them ponder themselves about the wrong assumptions that they've come to life with yeah and i mean if if you answer the question the, the world does this with us all the time especially with the identity politics thing like the new testament pretty well teaches us you're not supposed to play tribalism 
But there are a lot of people who say, well, we're going to play tribalism, but we're going to be the ones who get it right this time. It's like, no, no. You're, you're, if you have decided you're going to operate on the terms of tribalism, you've already lost the argument. And, and that's really how it is. Jesus answers the correct question. He doesn't answer the one that was given to him. And when you look throughout the New Testament, the New Testament is a beautiful example of how to respond to questions of the world, how to interact with stuff. You've got three radically different worldviews. You've got the Romans, you've got the Jewish establishment, and then you've got Jesus. And these three things, they're trying to really exert themselves, and they're all coming to a head, and Jesus navigates these waters. And you see the early church, you see those who follow him, you see the Apostle Paul write on these things, and you see a beautiful navigation through difficult situations. And the church must learn to say no to things, and not just to the question, but to the premise. Because sometimes if you answer the question, You've already lost because you played on their terms. All right, so let's get to some, some solutions as we wrap this up. So again, the spirit of the age, it comes with this lie that says, the culture around you reveals more about God's will than any or all of Christian history. Um, now that's something I want for, for Pastor Mike. So Mike, when we have solutions to this, why is it so hard for people to say no to the spirit of the age when you have the advantage? People tend to be willing to die for their faith when they're actually being pressed by a Roman judge. And we, we look at this and it's historically true. When, when the Nazis come to you and say, be a, a good soldier for the SS or we'll put you in a mass grave, there are actually a lot of people who said, no, I'm not doing that. And they, they died. They were shot there on the spot, young men that were German. Um, there are a lot of people who were pressed throughout history where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego brought, get brought before Nebuchadnezzar and they're like, no, we're not doing it. Throw us in the furnace. There are a lot of people whose faith has the integrity in that moment. But yet, and as the New Testament tells us, when you're one of the churches in Revelation and you've got a Jezebel or a Nicolation in the pulpit, or maybe you've got somebody who says, hey, the prostitutes down at the temple are pretty nice. Come check it out. Like, people have a lot harder time saying no to that when it's easy to, when it's actually you have an advantage to. You know, it's, it's not somebody throwing you in the amphitheater. It's not them throwing you in a furnace. It's not them putting you in a mass grave. When it's actually, you could easily just say no and move on with your life. People don't really want to say no to it. They usually have to wait to that moment where you're there in court, where it's actually pretty bad, and then they're ready to say no. Why, why is that? Well, I think, you know, for one thing, the the, uh, the appeal to the flesh and to, to uh, you know, not even the, the, the flesh, but, you know, to fall in nature, uh, whether it be to, to push back, it can be even used in, in a sense of justice to want to, hurt those who have hurt you so the spirit of the age has a way of sneaking into your life to um, say this is good this feels good and it's not so abrupt often uh, to just obviously no but it tries to sneak in little by little and say oh come on and just taste the the food over here it's not too bad um, anyways you're it's okay just this one time but it sneaks in slowly but surely and again you know understand that when the wolf comes in in the sheep's clothing it's a sneaky attack and so that's what we see rather than just being straight out attack. so you're saying the reason why it's easier when people are actually in court when the judge has got you there and says burn the incense or, or go to, because it's clear it's, it's clear. clear this is wicked this is not when you're sitting at home you're like maybe maybe just a little bit of you know pornography before I go to bed it, you, you think you can slip that in <laughs> as opposed to when you're actually there in the court and it's all out and open everything's on the table it's easier to set these boundaries and say no this is unacceptable if I die I die this is the way of life this is what I'm called to do you think it's just the clarity that you get 
in that setting. And absolutely, there's clarity there where the other may, may be, you know, coming in maybe in private like you were given an illustration of there. But, you know, it, it sneaks in and, uh, you know, just one time or whatever. And that's where we have to be firm and say no and be aware and be focused. Yeah. So, Pastor Amanda, the angel emphasized there in Acts 5.20, go stand in the temple and tell the people the whole message about life. I think one of the reasons why the spirit of the age sells so well and why the whole utopian mentality sells well. I mean, it's it's built on people not knowing much about history, for one thing, that you could sell something like socialism. Um, but it's it it answers for fallen creation in a way that I think the church has failed to do. Because it says, hey, there's suffering in the world. Um, and we know that there's suffering in the world. And to some element, we, we kind of know that we're created in the image of God, even if we don't profess that. And we know that suffering is bad. And so when something gives us an alternative to the suffering, we want to jump on that bandwagon. And I think the church has really failed to go and tell people that whole message about life, mm -hmm. to really say, we're going to talk to you about the difficult topics. We're going to talk to you and give you moral guidance on the difficult you know, scriptures, the things that makes you uncomfortable, the ones that sting the most. Um, I think that because the church has shied away from doing that, we've left open a vacuum where the spirit of the age comes in and says, ah, you're worried about that suffering, those injustices, I've got the antidote. The church doesn't want to touch that because it's a hairy moral issue. Well, I'll, t I'll touch that one for you. I'll go there. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Just yeah. the angel saying the whole message. The whole message. Well, this is something we see um in the way we speak about atonement. I mean, if, if Jesus, if all salvation was, was to appease an angry God or for there to be a perfect blood sacrifice, Jesus could have just popped down from heaven, died, resurrected, and the, the story would be done and over in like a day or two. Um, instead, we see Christ being born, uh, growing up, living human life, experiencing all of its joys along with all of its sorrows. And so we see that God has come to save us, not just an element of our lives or not just to give us good fun times but to save and redeem our whole selves and so the church has sometimes in some places and even in some places today has failed to convey that i think we see that in um uh, shortly after 9 11 a lot of people flocked to churches wanting answers wanting some way of dealing with that tragedy and i, I don't remember the exact timeline but i know people have done studies on this i think it was only a couple of months uh, I don't think it even took a year, that after 9-11, there were less people in church even than there was before the tragedy. And I think part of that reason is because the church failed to communicate accurately and failed to have even the foundation in the good times so that they could have something in the bad times uh, to talk about what it means for there to be grief and loss in senseless tragedies. And again, we... we we do this so often. We, we take like a wonderful book like Revelation, which is an apocalyptic literature, which is a book written to a persecuted people saying that there is hope, even if it's not in this lifetime, there will, there is ultimate hope in Christ. And we water it down to mean like, oh, Jesus is coming back and going to zap us out of our troubles. Yeah. Or we take something like Jeremiah 29, 11, um, that says, for I know I have, uh, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. And we like stick that on a bumper sticker and like, see, this means we get to have a good utopia, a good time. Really, Jeremiah is saying, listen, you're in exile and you're going to be in exile for 70 years. So get settled in, and it's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. 
but God is faithful even amidst the hard times. So we, we, we have to do better as a church because if we're not even capable of picking out the wolves or yeah, the wolves in sheep clothing, then the rest of the world's really doomed. Um, and so, yeah, it is difficult. And sometimes things will sneak on us, sneak up on us like Diet Coke. <laughs> we'll think that's the healthy option and it's not. But we have to be persistent in our study, in our, uh, in our trust of God, in relying on God's judgment and wisdom versus our own. And that way we're going to be able to, to do a lot better. Yeah, and I think you're exactly right. You brought up the 9-11 thing. Mm-hmm. And so many times in the, the church, we don't want to give an answer for why do people do this? What, what is it that causes this? Um, their worldviews, there are, there are elements that come out of the carnal nature. And I think so many times, those of us who, who, who get out and we, we talk, we want to give like the sanitized answer that's nice and clean. And we don't want to come to the fact and say, you're all sinners. We're all sinners. Everybody's a sinner. And the reason that stuff happens is because of the carnal nature that manifests differently. And it creates whole worldviews. It does horrible things. But there are many people in the church who will come and they'll say, well, you know, there's just a bad system of power there, some like class struggle. And they'll pin the blame on something which is downstream from the carnal nature. And that does cause people to ultimately leave the church because they're like, well, if you're talking about class warfare, but you only do it a little bit, why don't I just go over there where they do it? That, that's the whole gig they're selling down the street. The spirit of the age has got not only a whole nice package of class warfare, they've got the antidote. They're going to revolutionize and restructure everything. I'm going to go there. Because their belief system is all in for that one. Like, why are you playing footsie with it? Um, I think with the 9-11 example, that is really a marker where people did not want to go to the deep truths of why stuff happens. And I'm not saying like the conspiracy theories and stuff that people have about right. 9-11. But I'm just talking about the truth of the carnal nature and how fallen creation is a place where we do create things that are bad, where, where people are naturally sinful, and we're not able to rise above that without the power of Christ Jesus. And you were talking a little bit about hope, and I feel like if we do just turn stuff into a bumper sticker, we rob people of the true hope because you're not giving people that hope that can actually bring transformation. It's just the, the cheap, cute, fun for about five minutes hope, and then I'm going to go down the street and find something new and fun because it didn't hold my attention. Um, so let's get back to the skunk. <laughs> Let's go back in. And Anthony, can we cut to our, our second conversation with our, our skunk friend? And let's find out what, what else has happened. Well, I'm back in here with Stanley Stankup. And Stanley, we spent some time talking about your idea. This idea that the culture around us reveals more about God's will than does any or even all of Christian history. And you know what we discovered when we studied that? It was a great idea. Didn't you find that it works better for churches since it doesn't condemn or judge you? Well, you may think that, Stanley, but its lack of judgment is only one that is in appearance because it's a one-way street with the spirit of the age. It actually has quite a bit of judgment, just kind of for thee, not for me. It's not a very good thing. And this really was a very bad lie, Stanley, and you should repent of it. Um, you may think that the spirit of the age is without judgment or condemnation, but in truth, it is not one. It is one that appears to be kind and tolerant, but in truth, it is quite vile and it leads people astray and it brings with it a lot of destruction. It's not a very good thing. Well, at least I'm throwing out new ideas. I mean, you may not like them, but at least I'm putting them 
out there. Well, again, I want you to be careful in that thought, Stanley. We shouldn't just be desiring something new for newness' sake, but we should be looking to have godly ideas, to be Christ-like in our lives and in all that we do. Okay. Well, you know, we got two more ideas. We'll just keep going through them and maybe we'll find something good. All right. Well, that sounds like a plan. We'll, we'll examine them. Well, with that, I guess I'll head back to the studio. Okay, bye. See you next week. Alrighty. Alrighty, and we have determined that this one was a lie. Though we've kind of said that all along. <laughs> this whole idea that culture reveals more than any or even all of Christian history. Um, but it always sells it really nice. I mean, it's like the Lord of the Rings. Like, everybody kind of wants to have that ring of power. Mm. You know, Gollum doesn't end up down there for no reason. Smeagol doesn't turn into Gollum because it, it was unappealing in the beginning. Um, you, you do find that, yeah, sometimes I just want that. I just want to hear what I want to hear. Maybe I just want to be depressed and sit around and mope at home. I don't know. Could be whatever. But the carnal nature manifests, and that's why only Christ can save. All right, so um, final thoughts. We all kind of agree this is a lie. This is, this is a lie, and, you know, I think one of the things that is uh, very much a lie from the, the enemy or the wolf or the devil, however you want to call it, Satan, uh, the spirit of the age, is that everybody else is doing it. Remember that sheep are social animals, and when one is led astray, others will follow. Yeah. And so, you know, that's very much a, a lie. Everybody else is doing it. It's okay. That does not necessarily mean that anything is okay. Let us be true to the scriptures, true to Christ Jesus first and foremost. And um, the spirit of the age does come softly. It's like we're going to give Stephen the kind stoning. <laughs> like we're going to politely arrest you and beat and flog you, and we'll, we'll do that nicely. Um, so it does masquerade itself being more polite than it really is until it gets to a point where it can just be vicious and out the open. I mean, it generally does like to go there. Um, eventually there will be a Diocletian who wants to come, um, but, you know, Nebuchadnezzar is around the corner. Um, there are people who will get there, but a lot of times they start off more. This is the polite beating. We're, we're taking you to jail for your own good, for your, your kindness. Um, Anthony? As a final thought, I would say that um, you can name things in love. A lot of times we think that if you name something, it's automatically going to be in condemnation and in hate but you can name things for what they are in love if something is absolutely terrible you can say what this person is doing is absolutely wicked and still love them yep. you know yeah. and you should so, you should do it that those way. you should always I reproach yeah you should always like have the person's best interest in mind and sometimes speaking out like anthony said you must do that in love and not yeah. as uh, well, shoot, even if even if it's a situation, I, I do think people need to speak out more often than they do. Mm -hmm. But even if it's a situation where you feel like it's inappropriate to speak out or whatever else, I feel like a lot of times, even in people's hearts, people feel like it's wrong to name things for what they are. And whenever you do that, whenever you stop yourself from recognizing how things are and how, how you know them to be, um, you really handicap yourself. And you don't allow yourself to be able to uh, live as wisely as you could have and yeah. to make the differences that you possibly could have. Sure. Amanda, can you close us in prayer? Yeah, let us pray. God of all good things, we give you thanks for your many blessings. We thank you for the blessing of life and fellowship and your wisdom. And so we pray that you would make your presence known to each and every one of us 
um, throughout the days to come. May you give us wisdom to judge rightly, and may we trust not in ourselves or in our own discerning, but in the example and the life and the death and resurrection of your Son. We ask these things in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 With that, God love you, and have a blessed day.